Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Before I get to that, uh, I will share with you, for those of you that don't know, uh, I had spinal fusion surgery on September 5th, and uh, that's why I'm wearing this brace, and that's why so many people are excited to see me back. I've been gone for the last five Sundays, uh, and, um, and I'm really, really thankful. Um, one thing I need to do before I go any further, uh, I've said thank you to them plenty of times in person, but I want to honor our pastoral team here because they did such an incredible job. What a gift it is that, it, that I have in Kyle and Derek and Jason and Tim and the, the guests that they brought on this stage to share God's word with you. Uh, I am just bowled over by the amount of love and wisdom and extra energy and effort that they put into this pe- the past five weeks of being here as a panel to answer. Man, I saw those questions and there was a whole lot of difficult questions and there was a lot of prayer and I'm just so thankful for them. So I just want to honor them and say thanks, guys. Um, but we're in this new series uh, called The Daniel Dilemma, and it's actually based on a book written by Pastor Chris Hodges, and I always love to tell you when I'm going to do a series based on a book because this book will go way deeper than I'm going to be able to do on a Sunday morning and in a four-week series. Uh, in fact, I, I, I love opportunities to get you to go a little deeper uh, because on Sunday mornings, we, we're going to do what we call, we, we want to put the cookies on the lower shelf so that everybody can have some, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Basically, it means I'm going to talk in simple terms, but the book goes, goes a lot deeper. It even talks about, at the end of the book, uh, the, the book of Daniel and, and some, of the, some of the things that, it, um, some of the prophecies that Daniel made regarding the end times, because that's something I get a question about a lot, you know, is, are we in the last days? Is Jesus coming back soon? And the answer is yes, and yes, and, and, and so he talks about that in this book, and, and uh, uh, I would love for you to, to, to dive in on it. Um, we did find a few extras at Lifeway, which is closing here in Reynoldsburg, and uh, I picked up a few and, and, and put them online, and you guys already grabbed them up, so, uh, but, uh, but grab this book called The Daniel Dilemma by Chris Hodges if you want to go deeper, and here's what the series in the book is all about. It's all about living through the tension of godly lives in an ungodly culture. Now, if you don't know what this word culture is, the word culture is essentially the summary of the habits of the people, okay? So it's the, the habits of the people today. It's the way they talk, it's the way they dress, it's the way they behave and they act. It's how they think about things. It's the things that they attend to or give their attention to, and it summarizes a group, okay? And, and so there's this tension between following God's ways and the way that culture wants to go in, the, in, in our world today. And Daniel lived this out really well. In fact, he stood faithful to God in a culture that was not faithful to God's ways at all. Well, how did he do that? Well, that's what this series is all about. And the thing that I love about Daniel is Daniel didn't just endure that time period. Daniel actually influenced culture in that time period. This culture that was walking away from God's ways, here's Daniel who is confronted with it and faces it, endures, but has an opportunity to influence. And I think it's important that we know how Daniel did it, Because I think that today it's the same. I think that culture is shifting all around us. 
And if we don't understand, if we aren't keyed into the fact that culture is shifting around us, shifting away from God's ways, if we don't pay attention to that, we'll get caught up in it and not even realize it, that we've slowly shifted away from God's way of doing things. And we just get caught up in what everybody else is doing. So I think we can be like Daniel. Amen, everybody? I think we can not only be people that are faithful to God's ways, but also influencers in a time when culture is shifting away from God. Because here's what culture needs more than anything, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I'm excited to be here today. What culture needs is God's way of doing things. Because many of you, you're just like me. You, you lived in the world, and you got all the world's answers, and it didn't do you a lick of good. But when you started attending to God's ways, everything changed for you. And the world needs God's way of doing things in their lives. They need it. And so here we're going to look at the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is found in the Old Testament. And the book of Daniel has a lot of great stories that if you grew up in church, you probably heard these stories before. You, and, and maybe, maybe you didn't even realize you were hearing Bible stories through, through this cartoon called Veggie Tales, right? <laughs> they, had, they had stories about Daniel and the lion's den, but I don't know if they even used that name. But I know, I know they also talked about Daniel's buddies, uh, Rackshack and Benny, which uh, would have been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But... Uh, but, but you see, you know some of these, these stories, the fiery furnace, the lion's den, and Daniel is not a really big book. There's only 12 chapters, so I'd encourage you to, to dive in. There's some great history there, and the first six chapters are historical. They talk about what was happening in the time of Daniel's life in, in, uh, in, in, in Israel, and, uh, and then the last six are prophetic. And, and it's interesting because I find this interesting, and I'll just share it with you, because you know your Bible is not written chronologically. For some of you, that just cleared up a whole lot of stuff for you, because you're like, wow, okay, I thought it was written like in the beginning, and then it just continued, it was one, this one contiguous story, and it's just not, okay? Your Bible's not written chronologically, your Bible's categorized. It's categorized, it starts off in the Old Testament, it has law books, and then it moves into history books. And then it moves into poetry books, which is like Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. These are, these, are, these are in the poetry section. And then there's a section on prophets, and they're divided up major and minor. And it's not that one was more important than the other. It's just some of them were way longer. And I do mean way longer books than the other, right? The shorter ones are called the minor prophets. And so Daniel gets placed in this section of prophets. And what's interesting to me is that the first half is history. It's like, well, God, why would you do that? Holy Spirit, why would you lead those who categorize the books of the Bible to place Daniel in the prophecy section instead of the historical section? And I think the reason is this, is that what happened to Daniel will continue to happen all throughout history. That culture and the world around you will try to shift us continually away from God's way of doing things. And the Holy Spirit knew that this would be important, that we had a playbook, because history just repeats itself. There's nothing new under the sun. The enemy's got no new way of tricking us or duping us and, and leading us away from God. It's all just a repeat. You need to know that. And that's why we can look at Daniel and say, okay, this is not only is the history here, but the history is prophecy about what will happen in the future, about what will continue to happen. And so for us, we get to look at the book of Daniel. We get to look and see, all right, what happened to Daniel is going to happen to us, and so it'll help us live out our lives today when culture tries to shift us away from God's ways. And what Daniel lived through in that time was a total rejection of God's ways. 
and culture's effort to shift people away from God's ways. So that's what we're facing today. So let's jump into it. Historically, here's what was going on in Daniel's day. We'll go to Daniel um, chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, by the way, that's a tough verse to read, right? That's a whole lot of names and stuff that we ain't never heard before, right? But so, so what's happening is, is there's this king, and he's only been around for three years. And the Bible talks about it in other history books about him, that he was an evil king. He didn't live right before God, and he was evil, actually, is what, what the Bible says. He was evil. He led the people in evil ways as well. And so God, God allows this to happen. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in. It says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, because he was evil, and he was leading the people to do evil, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So not only did, 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 did Nebuchadnezzar come in and besiege the city, he took treasures from the temple and, and, and robbed the people, but he also took the people. The, the, the Bible uses this word exiled. They were moved from where they were back to Babylon. And there was a purpose for this to happen. Check it out. And the king ordered Ashpenaz. Pay attention to that name because you're going to hear it a couple times. He ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Now, check it out. He wasn't just looking for everyday average people. King Nebuchadnezzar knew that if he could get the influencers of Israel on his side, if he could get them to shift their ways to his ways, well, then the people who came from Israel to Babylon would shift faster. You need to know that that's like a truth in every situation. When you're going to introduce change into an organization or into a community, what you want to do is find the influencers. And that's what King Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He was like, all right, we're going to shift their way of thinking. We're going to shift the way that they talk about themselves and about God and who God is. We need to find the influencer. So he was looking for those people, and that's happening today. Do you know that? There, there are more and more influencers, those who were Christians, those who are following Jesus that had a platform, who are disavowing their self from their faith, who are saying, you know what? I'm not sure about this Jesus thing anymore, but y'all still go ahead and follow me. It's like, follow you Where? Follow you back to the mess that we've already come out of? No, thank you. But it's happening today. It's happening left and right. Just, just, just check out the news. Watch as popular worship leaders and pastors, pastors, are disavowing themselves from the faith and trying to lead people into the world's way of doing things. We found a better way. No, you didn't. You found the same old way in a new package. Come on, somebody. I didn't figure this was going to be a popularity contest today, but I'm going to preach, bless the Lord. Shoot. Feeling myself today, all right? This is going to happen. Here's what they're looking for, is they're looking for influencers. And this may remind you of somebody standing before you today. Young men without any physical defect, handsome. Hey, you, you didn't need to laugh that hard, all right? So. <laughs> Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. These are the influencers. And he was to teach them, Ashpenaz was to teach them 
the language and the literature of the Babylonians. See, if you want to shift culture, the easiest way to shift culture or the behavior and the way that we do things, you start with language. You always do that. In every organization, when you want to bring change, you shift it with how you talk about things. Isn't that something? You can watch how things that were once considered loving, God's love, God's ways, are now in our culture today called hateful. Oh, come on, somebody. You ain't ready for me this morning. That's all right. So he's just trying to get them to indoctrinate, okay? And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So there is this plan to break them down. And for them to participate in this, to eat from the king's table, would have broken every Jewish dietary restriction that they had, and also it would have been to have eaten food that was offered before idols, other gods. And this was offensive not only to God's laws, but to God himself. This is what they were being led into. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, you know him. These other three, you may not know them, or at least not by these names. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now watch this. I want you to watch how culture tries to shift these young men. And I'm pointing this out to you because if you don't pay attention to what happened to them, it will happen to you and you'll be completely unaware. Pay attention. The first thing culture tries to do is the chief official gave them new names. Changed the way you were talking about them. Changed language. Gave them new names. Now, each and every single one of you has a name. And maybe you know what your name means. I know what my name means. And maybe you're living up to what your name is, or maybe you're not. I'm not sure. Others of you, instead of living up to the name that you have, or the name that God has given you, you're living up to a name or a label that somebody else has put on your life. And the name that you have and the label that you have on your life is ultimately a belief system that you've attached to that name, and you start behaving that way. It's important that when culture is shifting around you, you know who you are, that you know your name because culture is going to try to rename you. They're going to do that, but you've got to decide that you're going to believe what God says about you, who God has named you, what he says and believes about you, or are you going to decide to let culture define you? Because here's what happened. Daniel, they changed his name to Belteshazzar, and each one has a name, and I'll go through it in a moment, a meaning, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Culture has an agenda and an effect, and the first thing it will try to do is culture will try to change our identity. That's the first thing culture will do. They'll try to change your identity. If you're taking notes, if you're not taking notes, there it is. Go ahead and take notes anyway. When I was younger, I, I grew up going to church. I knew from a very young, from a young age in my teens, I knew who God was. I knew that he had called me to ministry. I didn't know how to go about doing it, but I knew I felt his call in my life. And still, I was wildly unpopular and awkward in school. Anybody else relate? Don't, don't throw your hands up. <laughs> Some people sitting next to you, I knew it. Yeah, I knew it, yeah. I, I was just unpopular. Like, I mean, there were popular kids, and I wasn't them, but I wanted to be like them. But all the popular kids in my class, they were rude. 
They were hateful. They were mean to one another. They were vulgar. The boys that I wanted to be like, the boys that, I, that were popular, told dirty jokes. And I didn't know much about sex. I didn't know much about sexuality at all. I, hadn't, I grew up in a conservative home. I didn't have access to that kind of material or those kind of TV shows or anything like that. I, I just didn't have access to it. So I didn't know much about it, but I just repeated the jokes and the things that they said I caught on. In other words, I shifted. I shifted to become like them so that I could become popular. I wound up telling dirty jokes. I wound up drinking with them. I wound up smoking with them and learning how to hide the smoke by rubbing cherry chapstick on my fingers, you know? I mean, like, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You did the same thing, right? I, I, I wound up breaking into places and stealing stuff just like they were doing. And y'all, I went to a Christian school. Yeah. I shifted to become just like them. I loved God, but I wanted to be accepted, and so I let morality and God's ways go by the wayside. I shifted so that I could become who the culture wanted me to be, so that I could be accepted, so I could be loved, so I could be popular like everybody else. And the devil will try to change the script of your life, and he'll do that by trying to change and transform your identity. So you've so you got to be careful. That's why it's important for you to know the name that God has given to you. In other words, who he says you are. It's important that you know who he believes that you are. That's all that matters. In fact, that's why the journey that we have for you here at this church, it starts with you knowing God because we want you to know who he is and then we want you to know what he thinks about you. That's why the next part of your journey is to find freedom. You do that in our grow groups or join our growth track. You'll learn a whole lot about what God has to say about you and it's not what you think. Some of you think God's angry at you, that he has no purpose for you, that you've messed up too much and the Bible doesn't say anything like that. Bible says God loves you and he has a purpose for your life despite all your mistakes and your, and your sin. You can learn all that, but you got to go to growth track. Growth track we do. First, second, third, fourth Sundays in the month during our second service. Check your connection card. We'll get you more information about it. We would love for you to take that, for you to understand that. But that, that's why it's important. You need to know how to reclaim your name, strip off the labels that culture has put on you, and be able to adhere to God's label for you. So here's what he did. Look what, here's what Ashpenaz did to those boys. He said to Daniel, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. But he said, I'm going to call you Belteshazzar, and it means lady, protect the king. Now look at that shift. Look at the shift. There's this proper relationship with God. There's this proper posturing on who God is and who we are, and it shifts to a place of confusion. He gave him a woman's name, called him a lady. And let me tell you something, every major, every major pagan culture throughout history, at its end and its demise, introduces gender confusion. You can look it up in your history books. And this is what was happening here. They said, no, 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 we're going to go ahead and call you a woman and we're going to displace your proper role, we're going to displace your relationship and disrupt that relationship and introduce some confusion. Then he went to Hananiah. He says, Hananiah, his name meant Yahweh, has been gracious, right? Man, the Lord's been so good to me. Man, that's somebody that's, whose heart is full. Somebody that's filled with gratitude, living according to his name. And he changed his name to Shadrach. I am fearful of God. I'm fearful of God. 
Now he's not just trying to mess up your relationships, but he's trying to mess up your spirituality too. This is what culture will try to do to you. He goes to Michelle and he says, Michelle means who is what God is. In other words, who's like my God? Ain't nobody like him. Nobody's, nobody's worthy like him. Nobody can do what he does. There's nobody in comparison to my God. And he shifts his name, shifts him to I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. That's what Meshach means. He says, man, God's awesome, none like him. And we shift to from confidence to cowardice. Look at what he does to Azariah. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. This is a celebration of all God has done in my life. Yahweh has helped. This is which is his name to Abednego. He said, no longer are you a son of God. No longer are you part of the family. You're now a servant, specifically to this guy Nebo. You're a servant of Nebo. So with my God, my life is successful. But the shift says, you're now a servant of man. And culture wants to identify you, wants to change your identity, and it wants to shift your future. And when culture shifts, we have to know who we are. You aren't who the world says you are. You are who God says you are. Amen, everybody? Amen. Here's the next thing culture tries to do to you. Daniel verse 1, 8, or chapter 1, 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel made a pre-decision, by the way. He knew what God had to say, and he knew God's ways, and he made a decision. In the face of confrontation and in the face of a test, in a face of culture that was shifting away from God's ways, remember, this is the dietary thing, right? They're offering him food from the king's table. He had made a decision not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, most of us, when we're faced with confrontation and with issues, we handle it a very different way. We start beating people over the head with stuff. Well, no, that's not what God's word says. You're, you're just thinner. All of you, you're just thinner. I'm the only one living out of the way up in here. And that, that's not what Daniel does. Check it out. Daniel doesn't do that. He says that he asked the chief official. He asked him. Some of you need to note that. He asked him for permission not to defile himself this way. He decided, I'm not going to do this. Hey, by the way, I got, I got some standards in my life. I'm not trying to force them on you, but for me, is it okay if I don't eat this? Is it okay if I don't do this? He just shared his standards. And culture, what it will do repeatedly is it will ask us to compromise our standards. Many of you have felt this. Culture wants you to compromise just a little bit at first, and then a little more, and then a little more, over and over again. They, they, that's, that's how it happens. That's how culture gets you. It just shifts you a little bit. Just a little bit more away from God's ways and a little bit more towards the way the world does things. And your attitude and your actions and your words and your thoughts. It just shifts you a little bit. And oftentimes, it'll do this through a trap called comparison. We go, well, I'm not as bad as that person and, you know, I ain't killing anybody. I mean, really, nobody's getting hurt here if I look at, you know, some some stuff on my phone. My wife never has to know. I'm not hurting anybody. Ooh. That's a small shift. See what I mean? See what culture does? It's just a small little thing. Well, it was just, it was just, it was just a, you know, it was just one naked butt in the movie. I mean, it's okay, right? And then the next one's a couple more, and then the next one's a couple more, and pretty soon, you're just completely desensitized to it. It doesn't bother me. It's fine. 
It's bothering something. Oh, did I get too close to home? I apologize. Not. I love you. But this isn't about comparison. That's not how it works. We don't determine right and wrong based on how good we are versus how bad someone else is. We, we determine right and wrong from God's standard, from God's ways. And, and according to God's ways, every single one of us is, is a sinner. Every single one of us are, are subject to the same, the same penalty, the same consequence because of our sins. God's word is the standard and his ways are, are right. So when culture shifts, we got to do what Daniel did and we must reaffirm our convictions. We have to hold on to the truth of God's word when culture tries to get us to compromise. And the last thing, here's what culture will do. Daniel 1, verse 9 through 10 says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Why? Because he didn't beat him over the head, and he went respectfully and asked permission. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. So he wants to do this. But he's got some concerns. He said, why, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men? See, he had made a, a, an assumption about what was going to happen if Daniel didn't eat that food from the king. The king then would have my head because of you. Then Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. You know, culture is going to test you. They're going to test your resolve. They're going to test your identity. They're going to test what you believe. They're really going to push. They're going to try to see if they can shake anything in your life to get you to join what they're doing. I'm not really sure why. Maybe because misery likes company? I'm not sure. Because it's better in here. Amen, everybody? I'm just saying. He said, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. That doesn't sound like a diet that's from the Lord, right? Give me, give me Krispy Kreme and some Chipotle. And I'll have some, some Fanta, you know, the ones that they brew in Mexico in the glass bottles, the ones with the real sugar. Mm. But he says, give me, give me nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. And he's talking about the four of them. By the way, note also that he didn't use the names that were assigned to him. They, they used their real names. He says, that's going to be our test. And I think culture is creating a confrontation that you and I are going to have to face. You're going to face it on the job. You're going to face it in your family. You're going to be tested. Some of you are going through a test right now. You're going to be tested. It's going to test your resolve, test your heart. And Daniel says, hey, test us. And then he says, then compare. Oh, I like that. That's a a great opportunity for us to say, all right, you do it your way. I'm going to do it God's way. And over time, why don't we look and see who's got it right? Test us. He says, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So the official agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. You need to note this. The culture is always going to create a moment of confrontation for you. It's always going to happen. It's going to create this moment where you're going to have to decide. 
And we feel it today in the world all around us. We're watching it happen across our political landscape, across our, our social media, across our conversations, in our schools, on the job. We feel it everywhere. There's this confrontation. Feel it in our morals and our sexuality. We're confronted with all kinds of opportunities to bend and to be tested. But we have to know who we are. We have to know what we believe so that when culture shifts, we, wrong, we respond the right way. Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a right way to respond. And, and Daniel did that. And I, and I want to share that with you for, for the rest of our time today because I think there are two responses to when culture is shifting around you and you're faced with that confrontation and that test. The first response is this dogmatic response where we just respond with truth and we beat people over the head with it. We call them sinners. And we say, no, 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 I'm right. And it leads to just arguments. But in that posture and in that position where you're just beating people over the head with truth, what happens is in your rightness, you become wrong. Oh, well, listen to me for a second. Because just because you're right doesn't make it the right thing to do at that moment. God doesn't want you to be right. He wants you to be effective. And while God's truth brings freedom, we're missing the mark if we just hit people with truth all the time. The second way to respond is, is with, in the name of love, and you see this happening in churches all around. In the name of love, we accept everyone. We say, come as you are, and we say that here. But they go a step further, and they say, listen, you can live any way that you want. We just want to make more room for you to be here. We'll lay God's word and his ways to the side so that maybe we can have bigger congregations that in the name of love, because they think that being more loving, that they're being more loving than God's word. By allowing them to come as you are and just stay as you are. And it's this grace that, they've, that is wonderful. Because you can come as you are. But it's not okay to stay as you are. Amen, everybody? There's better for you. There's better for you. And there's a better way than just this truth and this grace. There's a better way. And it is a combination of the two. It is truth and grace. It is truth and love. There's got to be a balance of both of these. People must know God's love. They must know his grace. Grace is when you get something you didn't deserve. Hmm. We got to give people grace, but we also need to offer them truth. Because without truth, they won't be free. Daniel did this. He stayed firm in his faith. He stood on God's truth. But he also had the opportunity to influence his generation at the same time. And Jesus did this too. He did this beautifully. Jesus was totally perfect. He was holy. Yet, he was regularly found with prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners. Lepers. Outcasts of the day. And yet, he remained completely faithful and pure. There was this grace. He never compromised who he was or God's ways. And yet he was found loving those who the rest of the world had absolutely rejected. Scripture tells us this clearly in John 1.14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came to the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a combination of the two. Jesus embodies exactly what people need. Well, they need to know the truth. Yes, they do. 
but we need to love them where they're at. Yes, we do. But it's not an or thing. It's an and thing. It's grace and truth. Grace and truth. What is truth? Well, truth is simply God's standard. That's what it is. And God's standard is his word. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Listen, if you were to ever attend Growth Track, you'll go through step one and you're going to find out what kind of church we are. We're a church, like I said, that says come as you are. I don't care if you're in an addiction cycle right now. I don't care if you're divorced. I don't care if you're struggling with your sexuality. I don't care if, if you are broken and bitter and angry at God. I don't care if you can tell which one's Jesus and which one's a bale of hay. You come as you are to our church. We welcome anyone here. Why? Because we all needed that same kind of welcome at one point in time. Amen, everybody? We all needed it. You're welcome here. But we're not the kind of church that will compromise God's truth. We'll stand firm on that. And we're going to tell you God's ways. We're going to tell you God's best for your life. And we're going to love you at the same time. There's going to be grace for you at the same time. That's the kind of church that we are. When culture, because culture is going to shift all around you. But God's word never, ever changes. It absolutely never changes. So come as you are, broken, hurt, lost. But you can't stay that way. That's why we need God's grace. We need his favor. We need to have something that we could not earn. So I don't know if you've been taught this or not, but religion says that there's a whole lot of stuff we've got to do in order to earn God's love, his acceptance, heaven, forgiveness. But that's not what the Bible says. Grace is something you get because you, and you didn't deserve it. Forgiveness is yours. You didn't deserve that. You didn't earn it. You aren't good enough to deserve that. Jesus was good enough for you to deserve that. That's it. He's the only one that lived a perfect, sinless life. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. That includes all of us. He gave his life for us. So we need God's favor. Because Jesus Jesus gave us all that. He died while we were still living in sin, spitting in his face. So we can love the sinner. We can love those that are far from God. And we welcome them. But we're not going to let them stay that way. Because the truth is, God loves you despite your current condition. Grace paid the price for you in your condition and gave you what you didn't deserve. In fact, nothing you can do deserves gets you God's love, gets you his grace, or heaven. It says this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's not on you. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I like that. Got nothing to do with you. That's God's grace. And we need to learn both grace and truth. It's tough to do, but here's what we know. That without truth, we are corrupt. Without truth, we are corrupt. And without grace, we're condemned. See, without truth, we just continue living our old ways. Living the world's way, which, is, which just leads to more brokenness. But once we discover God's truth, we discover a new way to live, a new way to be. And that's by following Jesus. Without grace, we're condemned. We've got no hope for a change. We've got no hope for anything else. 
So, so we need them both. Because all of us, every single one of us needs a do-over because every single one of us, we're sinners. And we need God's grace. Without truth, we become worldly. We look more and more like the world. Without grace, we become judgmental. Because it becomes the comparison game, right? Well, I'm not as bad as them. And we start judging morality and good and bad on ourselves. We'll never have to forgive someone more than Christ has had to forgive us. We need to remember that. We don't, we don't get to be judgmental. We just need to receive God's grace. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. But grace and truth together, well, that's medicine. And you need to get that in your heart because that's what people need. They need grace and truth. And we need to not only share that with people, we need to live that way. The world needs to know the truth. They need to know a new way to be. They need to know that God's ways are better. But they need you to approach them with grace so that they can even receive it in the first place and have their lives changed. (coughs) I think people are tired of heading to churches and finding one thing and not the other. We need to be a church, and I'm challenging you to be a church that is standing on God's word. We're not going to compromise what it says to fit what culture wants to do, but we're also going to love people in a very graceful way, in an extravagantly graceful way, the same way you've received grace from God. Because grace invites us to be free. And we've all received that invitation at one point in time. Grace invites us to be free. Truth is the one that sets us free. His word says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You you, you need to know the truth. So here's this invitation to be free. And the way to be free is through the truth. And Jesus illustrates this beautifully. And and I'm I'm, going to tell this story and I'm done. But there's a story you've probably heard before about a woman who was caught in adultery. It's found in John 8. Verses 1 through 11, it says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. That's where Jesus was regularly found. And as usual, what happens, happened. A crowd starts forming around him. And he sat down and he's teaching. Jesus, full of grace and truth. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. In other words, it wasn't just that they heard whispers that she had had an affair or was caught in adultery. She was caught in the act of it. She was caught in, I'll delicately say, the throes of passion. Which is interesting to me that in a culture like this, they would grab the woman and not the man. And they bring the woman before. Maybe the man was, I I got my own theories on that. Maybe Maybe the man was a religious leader himself. That's just a theory, conjecture, as it were, purely. But they were throwing her before Jesus, pointing out her sins, making them worse than their own. And they put her in front of the crowd to humiliate her. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? 
I like it when they ask Jesus questions. You read the Bible and they start asking Jesus questions, the responses are just brilliant. Because Jesus gets asked lots of questions and he responds the same way he always responds, with another question. I like it. What do you, what do you think? And here's the thing, culture's gonna do that to you over and over again. They're gonna put something in front of you. Well, look at this, why would God allow this? Well, look at this. I mean, isn't love, love? Isn't, doesn't love win? Well, what do you think about that Supreme Court ruling? Or, or what do you think about, their culture's gonna present to you. What do you think? What do you think? They're gonna push you. And oftentimes, they're just looking to trap you. That's what they were looking to do to Jesus. Looking to see if you'll, you'll use a verse that condemns somebody or if you're just looking for a verse that will, well, we just love everybody here. Watch what Jesus does, though. They're trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus, he just stoops down in the ground and starts doodling in the dirt. He doesn't even answer him at first. Just, they wanted his opinion. Hey, the law says to kill her. And if Jesus went along with that, it, it would trap him from some of the other things he was saying. Or would he give her grace? And if so, then he would be violating the law of Moses, and then they could condemn him there. They're trying to trap him. But Jesus showed them there's a third option, because they kept demanding an answer from him, is what Scripture says. Kept asking him over and over and over again. He just doodling. Impatient, just waiting on the right moment to answer. And he stands up and he says, all right, we'll let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. I like it. And then he just goes back to doodling in the dirt. And it says he's writing down some stuff. He's, he wrote. So now he's not doodling no more. He's writing stuff. And he said, what was he writing? I don't know. Maybe, again, maybe he was writing some names like that they'd had affairs with. Sally. Tina, I don't know, again, purely conjecture, I'll ask him when I get to heaven. I got a whole list of things I want to ask Jesus when I get there. What is it he was writing on the ground that made such a difference? I don't know. Check it out. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. This part, it's hard for me uh, to, to uh, remain unemotional in this moment when you see so much grace on display. A woman who should be condemned to death. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where's your accusers? See, when Jesus confronts your sin, he doesn't do it in a public way. He doesn't do it in this confrontational, humiliating kind of way. He doesn't call people out in front of a whole bunch of people in order to embarrass them. No, he does it in a private, very personal way. That's why I just need you to know, some of you expect me, my role as a pastor is to start confronting people in their sin, to do it like right now and saying, and Sally, and you're just calling out your sin. But let me tell you something, that ain't my job, and it's never going to be my job. And if you expect that to be my job, there's the door. I ain't going to do it. I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does, and I'm going to let him confront you in your heart, and you can 
grapple and wrestle with that. I'm going to love you. That's my job. I'm going to give you grace and I'm going to give you truth. And then I'm going to let you respond to it. This is what Jesus does. You got to hear me. He said, didn't even one of them condemn you? He said, no. Lord, I like that. Something shifted inside of her. He wasn't Lord a moment ago. Now he's Lord. No, Lord. He said, neither do I. Grace. But check it out. Here's truth. Go and sin no more. He said, I love you. I know you were caught in a mess. I know you know you're in a in a whole tailspin right now. Just been been caught in, in, a, in an affair and an adultery. I know the public's opinion of you is going to be less. I know that people are going to talk about you. I know what you did. You've been doing it for a while. But I love you. And he says, just, just go and don't do it anymore. It's beautiful. Go and sin no more. And that's what he's saying to us today. That's the example that he's given us. So if you need to hear that today, he's not concerned with what you did last night. He's already aware of it. He loves you. But the call is for you to go and do it no more. And church, that's the way we need to be. People that will love them despite what has happened, but are willing to stand firm on God's word and share it with them. This is God's truth. This is God's best for your life. You can choose it or not. One way is Blessing, one way is freedom, the other is pain and slavery. It's your choice. I love you. Isn't that something? That we would be able to say that. Because as a church, we need to hold high God's truth and freely give God's grace. We're not going to change God's truth. We're going to make sure everybody gets as much grace as God has given us. Amen, everybody? Let's pray. Lord, there's so many people here that I need to speak to their hearts and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do what only you can do right now. Even though the words may fall out of my mouth and not eloquently. Lord, I know there's a lot of people here that may have been hurt by truth. Someone smacked them around too much. Maybe even put a label on them and said they're worthless, that they're never gonna be. Maybe, maybe they tried to share your your truth, but they lacked love and they lacked the grace and they lacked guidance on how to do that and as a result, hurt someone here today. I just pray that you would heal that hurt right now, God, that you would remove those barriers in people's lives right now. Let forgiveness and grace reign over that situation, over that hurt and over that pain. Others of you, you're here and you felt God's love and God's grace, but you've, your life is still a mess because you're still living the way you came in and maybe, maybe you haven't heard God's word or God's truth and you haven't tried it. And I'm just here to let you know the invitation is open for you today to make a decision. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do God's ways. I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to begin to align with it today. Today, I'm, I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm going to do it bumpy-like, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to learn. Others of us here in this room have been those people that have hit 
others over the head with God's truth. We've been the bullies. And we need to learn and experience God's grace. I think the greatest way for us to be, be givers of God's grace is to be recipients of it. And so today you just need to receive God's grace a little more. Remember that you're a sinner too. And then there's those of us that love the grace, but fear the consequences of the truth. Lord, I pray that you would just embolden us today. That when culture is shifting all around us, Lord, we would stand firm on your word regardless of the consequences, regardless of the popularity contest and the whispers and what they'll say about us. Regardless, that your truth is worth it. That your truth is freedom. Knowing ultimately that that truth is what others need in order to be free too. And yet there's still people in this room that you've not even taken the first steps on this journey. You've not experienced God's grace, but you're hearing all about it in this moment. You're feeling it. Maybe your heart is racing or you're just feeling this, this draw, something you've never known before. Maybe you have known it, but you, you got caught up in culture. You got caught up in life and you turned away from it and God's drawing you. His Holy Spirit is drawing you right now and this is your opportunity to respond. To respond to God's love, receive his grace. And if that's you, I'm... I'm going to give you a moment to do that. We, we respond to God's grace by saying, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to trust you and your ways. I'm going to follow Jesus. He's going to be Lord. Just like the woman who's caught in adultery. You're going to be Lord. I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do things your way. So if you're here today and you're ready to do that, and remember, I'm not asking you to do it perfectly. I'm just asking you to follow and receive his grace every day. If you're here and you're ready to do that, would you just slip your hand up and say, Aaron, that's me. I'm going to do that today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So proud of you. You can put your hands down. So proud of you. Listen, church, we're all going to pray together. Nobody prays by themselves. We're a family here, and we love you. We're proud of you. All of us, in fact, here, we're all in this hospital. We've just been here a little longer than you. We're glad you're here to get well, too. So let's all pray together. Say, Jesus I need you. Forgive me of my sins. Today I give you my life. And I trust you with it. I trust your ways are better than mine. Show me how to live for you. Make me brand new. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate with the four? There's four. Four people said yes to Jesus today. And that I'm telling you something. That makes, makes it worth it to stand up here in this brace and to be here with you all. And I'm just so proud of you. So listen, we're going to do this. I'm going to wrap up real quick. Uh, understand that uh, we're, we're going to take up an offering here as we leave. We're not past buckets. There's a give box in the back of the room. There's uh, all, all kinds of digital ways for you to do that, which will be up on the screen. And now, there it is. All right. So you can give through our app or you can text to give. But we thank you for your faithful giving. It allows us to do something like this because of your giving, your generosity. The Dream Center called us and said, hey, we're going to do this Thanksgiving push. And we'd like you, Simple Church, to give 25 full meals to people. And we said, okay, how do we do that? And they, they gave us the price on that. It was going to be somewhere over $1,200 to, to buy all 25 of the baskets and all the fixings for it. And they've invited us, and I'll give you more information about it, 
go and deliver them to people's houses. So we're going to do that because of your generosity the weekend before Thanksgiving. We get to go out and be part of that, to buy, buy those meals for people. So thank you for your faithful giving. We get to respond in a yes, we'd love to help that way and make a difference in 25 families' lives this Thanksgiving. And so thank you for that. Um, also want to share with you, upcoming is our community Halloween party. Uh, it's not ours. It's actually the city of Reynoldsburg. And we get invited as a church because we're influencers here, everybody. We're influencers. We get to come and serve at that event. And so I want to invite you to join the teams that are doing that. There are three shifts. Uh, there's a setup team uh, and that's around 2.30. And then there's, there's two shifts, uh, 5.30 to 7.30 and a 7.30 to 9.30. It's just a couple hours. But we come and we wear our Simple Church t-shirts, and I'm not targeting a certain number of volunteers, but I'd love to have as many people as possible come. It's a JFK Park. Uh, the way you get involved with that, the way you sign up for that, just go to our website, mysimple.church, and uh, you can click on the, there's a pop-up that'll say, here, here's the community Halloween party. Sign up to serve. Let's go and let's make a difference here in our community. Amen, amen everybody? It's a great opportunity for us to do it. In years past, people come in and go, is this a Simple Church event? And we say, no, 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 this is, this is a community event. We're just here to love and serve, and and be influencers. And so join us in doing that. That is the weekend, I think it's the 19th is the date, and uh, you'll have to check the website to make sure, but it's a Saturday. So again, would love to have you do that with us. Let me pray for you. We'll dismiss. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity. To, I'm selfishly just saying to be back here. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather in your house today. Lord, thank you for four hearts and lives that are going to be forever transformed as they follow you. Bless this offering, Lord, as we receive it. Help us to reach more and more people that are far from you with every dollar. And everybody in this room said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see.